right. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to the pod. Um, I'm recording this actually right after the Super Bowl. Um, the game finished up at 28 minutes ago. So I just thought we'd record an episode. Um, yeah, I may be from New England, but I really, really hate Tom Brady. So I was, uh, I was rooting against them. And sadly, they won. So... Uh, my topics for today, I got my, you know, standings up, but before we get into anything to the literal one person who listens to this, um, tweet at me, let me know. It's just the name of the podcast, F3D Podcast, because it would be kind of nice to know if someone's actually listening to this, and it's not a bot, so we'll see. Um, but the first thing I want to talk about, these are basically in chronological order of when I like think of them. It's most of the time I think of them while I'm sitting in school in class. So, But the first thing I'm going to talk about is the Kobe White problem that's kind of going on in Chicago. And I have had or seen because a lot of the YouTubers I watch are Bulls fans. And a lot of the people I follow on Twitter are Bulls fans. And people are just not happy with the way that Kobe White's playing this year. But it's not completely his fault, right? They're trying to play Kobe White as a point guard. And he is not a point guard. At the end of the day, he is a shooting guard. He he is a scorer. And at 6'5", he's a little small for the shooting guard position, but still, he's not a facilitator, right? They're trying to force him to be a facilitator. Or at least Billy Donovan is right now. Like, oh my god. I was looking at his rookie stats, but his second year is not a lot better. He's shooting barely better from the field. Literally barely better from three. His effective field goal percentage is, for the most part, the exact same. His free throw percentage has improved, but he's doubled his assist while also almost doubling his turnovers. You know what I'm saying? Like, his assist to turnover ratio is still 2 to 1, which is not like terrible, right? But it's, I mean, that actually is terrible. You don't want that out of your starting point guard. It's your starting point guard. I'm thinking about how Demarcus Cousins used to have. You know, 10 assists on 7 turnovers in a game. And I was like, yeah, it's not crazy. It's buggy, you know? But just so far this season, I mean... And and the problem is, right? The problem is not that his efficiency isn't better. Because the point guard position is very hard to translate to. The problem is, in my opinion, is that he's getting almost 10 more minutes per game. And his points per game went up by 2. Actually, I'm talking out of my ass. Everything across the board improved. Except, I mean, even rebounding improved. So everything across the board improved. Not as much as I would want to see from an off-the-bench to a starting role, but still. But I think Bulls fans' biggest problem, and I'm taking kind of taking this from Rusty's video, is that they're just trying to play him like a point guard, and he's not a point guard. You know, their best lineup is when Thaddeus Young is out there with um, the scorers, because Thaddeus Young is an actual facilitator. He's an actual playmaker. And I don't know if – I did not write this down. I think this just talks about um, a bigger kind of problem in the NBA. And Rusty talked about this, I think, in a video today. That losing culture is breed losing, right? It, it, it just – it's not good culture to have. There is value in having vets and being the 10th seed. Instead of being the 15th seed and getting that first overall pick, you're the, you know, 13th seed, but you have a couple of vets in the locker rooms. It, that's in the locker room. 
that are able to give some sort of leadership and at least you know it's it's hard it's hard to breathe winning culture when you're losing all the time but it's important that you at least try to breed a winning culture while you're losing. Because if, if you have a culture that isn't like, no team is obviously like, oh, we're losing this game. We are going to purposely lose this game. But certain front offices are like that. And what's going on in the front office trickles down into the locker room and trickles down into the coaching staff. So if you have a front office that is geared more towards winning, then that will trickle down to everywhere else. And I think that's what Bulls fans want right now. Because you look at the Knicks, and I'll talk about the Derrick Rose trade in a minute, because I think it is, for the most part, an idiotic trade. But there's one silver lining to it. You bring in a vet who has played with Tom Thibodeau before, who buys into Tom Thibodeau. And number two, you're bringing in one of the you're bringing in a guy that most of these young rookies like Emmanuel Quickly or R.J. Barrett grew up watching. They watched this guy, so they are going to listen to Derrick Rose. They all were, you know, in middle school and high school, and Derrick Rose won MVP. So they were kids when that happened. It's like if I were to eventually get on an NBA roster and play with Steph Curry. Like, yeah, he's not Steph Curry anymore, but I was, you know, twelve. When he won 13. I was 13 when he had the single greatest statistical offensive season we will, and probably visually, we will ever see. You know? So I think that there is obviously, um, you know, some silver lining to the next trade. I'll get to that later, though. But what I'm trying to say is that is that there is value in having vets in your locker room. Yeah, it might lead to more wins. Yeah, they might take minutes from young guys, but there's value in it. You know, because something that um, came out in reports was that Colin Sexton, for for the Cavs, Colin Sexton is really starting to learn the X's and O's of the game because of Kevin Love, because Kevin Love's there. So if they were to trade Kevin Love, Colin Sexton loses that, which isn't good. Because you need that veteran leadership. If it's a team of all young guys, everyone is going to make mistakes. Everyone's going to do something wrong. Because no one knows what the fuck they're doing. You need you need vets in there to be able to give guidance and give leadership. You know? It definitely helps Steph Curry and Clay Thompson when Iguodala signed there. You know, I'm just like, veteran presence is needed in a locker room if you really want to be successful. Because it's all about learning, right? It's all you want your young guys to learn. So why not bring in vets that know what they're doing? Bring in veteran role players. Bring in uh, a past this prime star, like a Chris Paul. You know, like it, there is value in it. Uh, next thing, um, little, little voice crack there. Two game win streak for the Heat. I'm actually gonna scratch this topic. We shouldn't worry about the Heat. I don't, I I don't know if we should because. At the end of the day, they're seven and a half games out of first place, which sounds like a lot. But, I mean, actually, the West is pretty empty, um, comparable because the Pels are eight spots out, eight games out. 
that's not a crazy deficit. That's really not. And I know it's early season, but not a crazy deficit. The team has been killed by injuries. They got hurt by the virus, as every team is. I don't think we should worry about the Heat, but it's not a good look for them. Um, I think if they if they don't make it in the second round, it's not a good look for them. Honestly, unless they're playing the Bucks, the Nets, or the Sixers in the first round, if they're playing my Celtics, the Pacers, the Hawks, the Hornets, the Knicks, the Raptors, the Cavs, if they're playing any team in the East that isn't those top three seeds as of right to as of today. I don't know. I don't. I don't think that's a good look for them. Because to me, this Miami Heat team is still better than my Celtics. This Miami Heat team is better than the Pacers, better than the Hawks, better than the Hornets, the Knicks, the Raptors, the Cavs, the Magic, the Bulls, the Wizards, and the Pistons. Like this Heat team is still very good. So if they don't make it to the second round, they're a disappointment in my mind, and it, it just doesn't look good for them because. I think a lot of people in the media said that what the Heat did was a fluke. And I think a lot of our rational, and a lot of the NBA execs also said that it was a fluke. All of them. I think all of them said it was a fluke. And so to see that and then see sport like like YouTube media and social media and kind of more popular culture media be like, no, what the Heat did was real may not have been completely thought out, right? It may not have been completely thought out because I think that YouTubers as a whole have this innate want and innate feeling that they need to juxtapose whatever Stephen A. Smith says or whatever Skip Bayless says because those are the quote-unquote uninformed people and quote-unquote casuals, I feel like they have this need to always disagree with them. But I think that's not fair, right? Because there are times Skip Bayless is right, and there are times that Stephen Stephen A. Smith is right. Whether you want to admit it or not, it's just the simple truth. And I think that this is one of those times. I think that the Heat might have been, not a fluke completely, but... We were very much so short-sighted because the bubble helped them. The bubble helped them. At the end of the day, the bubble situation really helped them. I don't know what else you want me to say. It, it clearly did. It clearly played to Jimmy Butler's strengths, right? Because the Heat, the Heat are not dangerous because they have the most talent in the world. The Heat are dangerous because they are the most mentally tough team in the NBA. Probably. Maybe the Lakers. Probably the Lakers are the most mentally tough. But after that, it's the Miami Heat. That's why they're such a dangerous team. And the bubble was very fortunate teams that were mentally tough. The Bucks are not a mentally tough team. Right? The Bucks, you can outcoach Bud like it's nothing. I might be able to outcoach Bud. Eh, I don't know about that. Probably not. But maybe. <laughs> I'm tripping. This is very off topic about the Heat. This got onto a tangent about something else. But I, all I'm saying is, is that maybe we were too quick to jump and say that, no, the Heat are, this is real. When has a low seed making it to the championship ever been real? Outside of the Heat Team Rockets. 
You look at the 99 Knicks, they were, what, the 8th seed made to the finals? They weren't real. You look at the 2011 Mavs, even after that, they were kind of volatile. You can blame that on Mark Cuban, but still. All I'm trying to say is, is we may have jumped to conclusions simply because we have the innate want to disagree with popular media because popular media tends to pertain more to the casual. So we believe that we are smarter than them because we are non-casuals. But maybe we're just overthinking it at all. That was a really long tangent. I don't know, you know, I don't know where that went. Hold on, let me... I'm getting no media love. I mean, if you want to talk about it, you want to talk about it. Um, B-Souls literally made a video about it last night. I was going to record my podcast, but then my friends were like, no, let's run. So B-Souls made a video, had made a video about it, where he's basically just, he's playing really well. 23-7-3 on... 60% 60% effective field goal percentage, 59% from the field, 68% from the line, which actually is not terrible. 36% um, from three. That's a 6% drop from last year on roughly the same attempts. Not happy about that. But um, like I said, Beastles made a video about this, and I actually had a lot of problems with his video. Beastles said, Beastles was basically, for a, a short part of this video, he was arguing that Zion is not what we anticipated him to be. Right? Zion is not the player that we thought he was going to be. And he wasn't gonna, He wasn't sitting there and arguing that um, Zion was a boss. But he was arguing that, like, oh, we thought Zion was going to be able to shoot better. We thought Zion was going to stretch the floor more, which I don't know who the fuck B-Souls was talking to before the draft. Because according to my calculations, and from what I remember, B-Souls is tripping. Like, I don't know if anybody was like, oh yeah, he's going to come into the NBA and be able to shoot at league average from three. No one said that. It's a motherfucker's second season. Give him some time. First of all, give him some time. Second of all, coaching. He was like, I don't know if it's a coaching decision or whatever, but there has to be player accountability. I was like, Beasles, Stan Van Gundy is not going to have Zion sitting at the three-point line. That's not A, who Stan Van Gundy is, and that's not B, who Zion is. I understand Zion off the dribble with a full head of steam is lethal, but you know what's really lethal is when Zion is standing in the paint getting layups and getting his own miss and getting easy post looks. Because Zion is such a matchup nightmare. He really is. Because he is so quick with his moves and so quick with getting under a player and getting the offensive rebound that you can't put a traditional big on him. You're probably not going to have much success there. Because, yeah, a traditional big knows how to guard post moves, but not as fast as Zion can do him. And you can't put a wing on him. Zion's too strong. You can't put a guard on him. Zion's way too strong. So what do you want him to do? You want you want Zion to sit at the perimeter. Is that what you want, B-Souls? All right, cool. He also sat there and said that John Morant was the better rookie, or yeah, was the better player out of the two, which I don't mean to be tripping, but last year, Ja averaged 18 and 7, and this year, Ja's averaging 18 and 7, and Zion is averaging 23 points, 
on a much higher effective field goal percentage. Zion's shooting better than Josh from three, and I understand that Josh's definitely shooting way more than Zion, but I'm just saying that I don't think John Morant's better than Zion Williamson. That's why John Morant, like, that's why John Morant won rookie of the year because he played the whole year. If Zion had played the whole year, he would have won rookie of the year. He's averaging 23 points per game. I just think that, like, I think Beasel's tried to argue in his video why Zion's not getting coverage. And tried to explain it. Not more of be like, he's not getting coverage and he should be. Which is kind of what everyone's saying. Beasel's tried to pull a legend of winning and outsmart everybody. That's another thing. I'll talk about legend of winning on a pod later. Because he'll do some shit or say some shit that really pisses me off. Like, oh, he sent some shit on Twitter today because uh, Los tweeted something out, which no one should ever listen to Los because he's actually an idiot NBA fan. But Los was, like, showing field goal percentage, three-point percentage, and LeBron was higher than Kevin Durant. And he was, like, much more efficient, LOL. And Legend of Winning was, like, field goal percentage does not mean efficiency. And I was, like, I mean, it does to an extent. Like, I just – I think Legend of Winning has a tendency – to believe that he is the smartest person like on Twitter when it comes to talking about basketball. And Lowe's a great guy. I love watching his videos, but he just seems to have this God complex to him that he is the smartest person on NBA Twitter. And his opinion means more than others' opinions because he is quote-unquote the more educated NBA fan. Whatever. I'm not getting no love. I don't know. I, I, I mean, bring up topics. That's one I will. I what am I saying right now? Am I good? Am I good? Can I just take a minute? This is why no one listens to this damn podcast. Because I'm tripping all the time. Anyway, yeah. So that's. I mean, I'm. I didn't really argue anything about Zion getting no love. I went on a rant about B Souls and why he's content sucks lately, and legend of winning and why he's toxic definitely as a person. At least talking basketball. DeRozan is hooping. Gamar DeRozan. Kenny talks about this a lot. I have I've watched a little bit of Spurs basketball, mainly because I'm a huge Calvin Johnson guy. Um, but let's look at his assists over the years: 0. 0.7, 1.8, 2, 2.5, 4, 3.5, 4, 4, 5, 6, 5, 6. So yeah, he has improved almost every year with his assists. Kenny was basically saying: Is there any player in the league that came into the league and was not a playmaker? And turned into a playmaker like DeMar DeRozan has. You know? Because DeMar came in the uh, league. He was just a scorer. He was not um, anything like an assist guy. Eh, maybe, yeah, maybe Jason Tatum isn't a great example. Actually, Jason Tatum is rookie year 1.6, the next year 2.1, three assists, now four assists this year. And Jason Tatum in the playoffs, like Jason Tatum will have games where he has like 10 assists. Jason Tatum is a really good facilitator. I try to argue that. I think I replied to his tweet with Jason Tatum because I believe that Jason Tatum is a very underrated playmaker. And what's Tatum averaging this year? Tatum is averaging 27-7-4 on four, on 54.9 effective field goal percentage. Brandon Ingram. 27-7-4. Brandon Ingram is averaging 24-5-5 on worst efficiency. 
shout out to Pee Wee the Plug, but he's a fucking idiot. He's a fucking idiot. Brandon Ingram is the number one option on his team. He's averaging 24, 5, and 5. Jason Tatum is the number one option on his team and is averaging 27, 7, and 5. Or 27, 7, and 4. Jason Tatum is also, according to effective field goal percentage, shooting more efficiently than Brandon Ingram. I know effective field goal percentage isn't an end-all, be-all, but it's a damn good place to start. You would say, oh, well, you know, Brandon Ingram has to play with Zion. Zion's also averaging 23 points per game. Jason Tatum is playing with Jalen Brown and Kemba Walker. Kemba Walker's been shit this year, I can tell you firsthand. But Jalen Brown's also averaging 27 points per game. Brandon Ingram's not better than Jason Tatum. That's all I gotta say. At Pee Wee to plug. Fuck you. Brandon Ingram is not better than Jason Tatum. Statistically, defensively, offensively, offensively no. Nah. Get out of here. That's some bullshit. That's him being biased. I think that's him being biased. At the end of the day, that's all I had to talk about. It went from DeMar DeRozan being a good facilitator to Jason Tatum being a good facilitator to fuck Brandon Ingram. That's all I gotta say. Recent thoughts. Let's talk about Tyrese Halliburton. Because, oh my god, I love Tyrese Halliburton. He is my guy. Um, he's friends with all the YouTubers I like. Oh my goodness. 12, 4, and 5 on 60% effective field goal percentage. I've already talked about Reese, though. I love Reese. In my opinion, he should be front runner for Rookie of the Year. Because. Fuck what Lamella Ball's doing. We need, I knew he was going to be doing this. You know, Reese deserves it. Oof. De'Aaron Fox, 22, 3, and 6. And I'm, I have a De'Aaron Fox jersey. I love Swiper. Um, Swiper the general and quick. I've never heard anyone call De'Aaron Fox a general. Anyway, I love the Kings. I have not watched a ton of Kings basketball this year, though. I just haven't had the want to, nor the need to. And... It was mainly because they, like, sucked last year. But I can tell you firsthand, watching De'Aaron Fox cook my Celtics was really not that fun. Watching Tyrese Maxey fuck us up was the worst thing ever. But I couldn't, like, hate it because I love the Kings. I love Rashawn Holmes. I love De'Aaron Fox. I love Harrison Barnes. I love, um... Tyrese Halliburton, like I said. I love Buddy Heald. I think they're starting lineup. I just love all those guys. So, I was mad about it, but I wasn't, like, pissed about it. So, I went to a Kings game. I've been to a Kings game. Celtics-Kings, yeah. Anyway, Swipe just kill us off the dribble. We couldn't do anything against him. But during the game, it was weird. Tommy Heinsohn, or not Tommy, Tommy Heinsohn dying was, like, a really big blow to the Celtics' calls per game. Because he didn't call every game, but he called most of the games. And he was just so much better than Brian Scalabrini. Brian Scalabrini sucks. They were talking about Brian Scalabrini and whoever the else was calling with him. We're talking about the Celtics trading for Harrison Barnes. And I was like, oh, yeah, we don't have any rebounding or bigs. So let's trade for Harrison Barnes. Oh, yeah, that makes so much sense. I was like, you guys are fucking idiots. Like, let's not trade for Vucevic. Let's not trade for Drummond. Let's trade for uh, uh, another wing. Like, what? My God. That was so 
was pissed about that when I was watching the game. So, yeah, oh, this is another interesting. I have a really good amount of topics, and I'm already 20 minutes in because I ramble about nothing. Lewis Trash. Let's talk about that because that's a quick one because he's just dead-ass garbage this year. Maybe it was those wings. Those wings in Atlanta killed him because, Jesus Christ, uh, 9.8 points per game, two rebounds, three assists, on 40% from the field, 40% from three, and 82% from the line. That's 46% effective field goal percentage. This is Lou Williams' lowest scoring season since his second year in the league. In which he got 11 minutes per game. He's getting 20 minutes per game, averaging nine points. Wow. Wow. He's just garbage. That's all I had to say, is that he's garbage. Watching him against the Celtics, I was like, this kid's trash. Christian Wood got hurt. I think he's missing an extended period of time. I would talk about this more, but I don't have, like... I don't, I don't have enough time to talk about the Christian Wood injury, which sucks. I love Christian Wood. I'm a huge Christian Wood fan. He was on my all-star voting. Um, he just he's just really good, man. And it sucks to see him go down with an injury. But like Joe, Joe Burrow said, they can't get rid of him that easy, you know? So we'll see how he goes. Um, ooh, this is another really good question. When is it too early to compete? Because, okay, this this ties into another topic I have later, but, like, when is it too early to compete, right? Because I think with the Celtics, we're trying to compete too early. Which sounds weird to say out loud, but it makes sense. All right, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are very young. I think we should have been bad for another season or two, or mid-tier at least. And, uh, I mean... There a lot of shit has gone wrong, and I'm starting to like Danny Ainge is starting to look funny in the light. Danny Ainge is really starting to look funny in the light because he pulled off a lot of good trades early. He pulled off the Brooklyn trade. He pulled off the IT trade. He pulled off the Kyrie Irving trade. But I think I just think Danny Ainge is starting to look funny in the light, man. Because we're trying to compete, but it's not working. It's not working. We're trying to compete, and it's not working. We're just shooting ourselves in the foot at every turn. Trading away Isaiah Thomas for Kyrie Irving was an amazing trade. Signing Gordon Hayward ended up being not great. Right? You know, game one against the Cavs. Gordon Hayward gets injured. Boom. We just got shot in the foot. Because Gordon Hayward offered injury like that was not worth the money that we paid him. At the end of the day, he just wasn't. Boom. Shot in the foot. Kyrie Irving is unhappy with things in Boston. So, boom, shot in the foot. That pick turned into Colin Sexton. Is all I have. Just saying, that pick turned into Colin Sexton, man. So, boom, we got shot in the foot there. And then we signed Kemba Walker. And we're like, oh, shit, we can compete again. Boom, got shot in the foot. Because Kemba sucked in the playoffs. He's injured. And he's, oh, yeah, 30, earning like $40 million a year. Rusty made this argument in one of his videos that is obviously an argument with 2020 vision or 2020 uh, uh, hindsight. Y'all know what I mean. He said, he always says that I wish the Celtics got Malcolm Brogdon instead for less money and 
got role players. Obviously, that's with hindsight, but it's a good point to make. Malcolm Brogdon is younger than Kemba Walker. Malcolm Brogdon this season is playing far better than Kemba Walker. Malcolm Brogdon's also, hey, a two-way player. If Malcolm Brogdon's not scoring, he's still affecting the game. If Kemba's not scoring, they call him Cardio Kemba for a reason, man. If Kemba's not scoring them all, he ain't doing shit for your team. And then we also could have, you know, filled out with role players, which is what we need. I think this didn't happen for two names, for two reasons. One, I think Danny Ainge is getting distracted by names. And two, we want our young guys to play. My biggest beef with my team is that we have this tendency to acquire a lot of draft capital, not use it in trades, and then draft players that either A, never get enough time to prove themselves, or B, turn out to be literally nothing. Peyton Pritchard is the first guy that we have hit on in terms of a draft pick that wasn't a lottery pick. Marcus Hart was a lottery pick. Jason Tatum was a lottery pick. Jalen Brown was a lottery pick. Everyone else on the Celtics said that's good. Daniel Tice, I'm pretty sure, was undrafted. We um, signed him out of Germany. You know what I'm saying? Like, like we don't hit on our late-round picks, yet we take late-round picks every single damn year. And it pisses me off. But the main argument there is that it seems like Danny Ainge is, is, is trying to compete right now. Which is good. But I wish that we hadn't tried to compete so quickly. And I know I just talked about my Celtics and criticized my Celtics for a while, but this is about the Mavs. We are putting way too much pressure on Luka too early. He could easily have, quote-unquote, a disappointed career. Because he won't start winning right away. Like, we could look back on his career 20 years from now. And be like, yeah, but he should have won more championships when he was younger. You know? Kind of like how we did with LeBron to an extent. Like, yeah, but... He should have won championships in Cleveland, you know? Like, I think that... I just think that we're putting too much pressure on Luka because it went from rookie of the year to all-star to MVP like that. It went boom, boom, boom. People were bringing up the fact that it was too much for Pascal Siakam to go from bench player to role player to all-star like that. And we are literally telling Luca to go from rookie of the year to all-star to MVP like that. And I think that that's an absurd expectation to have for a 22-year-old or 21-year-old. He would literally be the youngest MVP in history. All I'm saying is, is I think that we're putting too much pressure on Luca, And I think that the Mavs should maybe take a step back from trying to compete right now. Because as not, as good as the Mavs are, they are not beating the Lakers. They are not beating the Clippers. I, I know. I know. I'm someone who believes that the Mavs would have won that playoff series. They're still not beating the Clippers in a seven-game series. I don't think they will. Because we're not in the bubble anymore. The bubble was detrimental to the Clippers because they were mentally weak. The bubble is not going to happen again, probably. So, the Mavs won't be able to repeat what they did last year. The Mavs right now are not a playoff team. Right now are not a playoff team. The way that they're playing, they are. And there's multiple reasons for the Mavs being bad. I've talked, excuse me, I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I just think that we need to relax with the Lucas stuff. Yeah? Um, let me go through the nights really quick. Uh, Vucevic had a huge night. He had like 20, uh, 40 and 20. 
um, against the Bulls because the Bulls have no interior defense that um that Wendell's up. Jokic at City, so that's pretty good. He was next. That'll be the last thing I talk about. Let's talk about LeBron, Kevin Durant, Charles Barkley. So LeBron came out, and literally every NBA player has come out, and most NBA players have come out and been like, "The All Star Game is stupid. We shouldn't be having it, and I don't want to go." Unfortunate. The NBA. I understand why the NBA is doing it. <laughs> I more than understand why the NBA players hate it. I would also hate it. I also do hate it, but. The NBA is not going to do it, man. They're making too much money from it. They're going to lose too much money if they don't do it. So it's going to happen, which sucks, but I just need to address that. Um, The Kevin Durant thing was really weird because this just shows the hypocrisy of the NBA. They say that he's out for health and safety protocols, and they say that he can play, and then they pull him. It's a nationally televised game. It's pretty easy to see why they did it. They need Kevin Durant, one of the greatest players on the planet, or else the casual turns the game off. I wouldn't have watched that game if Kevin Durant wasn't playing. I didn't watch that game because I thought Kevin Durant wasn't playing. And then the NBA was like, mm, yeah, you can play. We need you for an national televised game. It's up in the air. But we're not going to err on the side of caution. We need you to play for uh, national television. And then it was like, oh, wait, you actually didn't come in close contact. So we got to pull you from the game. Idiots. Idiots. All of them. And then finally, Charles Barkley thing. Charles Barkley said um, on whatever that show is with him, like EJ, Kenny, and Shaq, that he was like, I don't like the product that the NBA is right now. I don't like seeing all these things, which to be fair, Charles Barkley has always been anti-three. Always. You can find receipts of him when the Warriors were starting up that he was anti-three-point shooting. Um... And I disagree with him, obviously. Most NBA fans disagree with him. But I agree with him to an extent, like to a very short extent. I was watching Mavs' sons and watching Luka and watching Devin Booker take pull-up threes in transition with 23 seconds on the shot clock is not fun. That is not fun for me. Especially if I'm like a Suns fan. Because then we just wait. Oh, now we're back on defense. Awesome. You know? It's a wasted possession. If you make it cool... But I feel like you don't make those that often. So I understand where Chuck is coming from. I don't necessarily agree with him, but I understand where he's coming from. Because there are times that watching these games is less fun. There's also, this needs to be spoken about. Teams are shooting more than ever. Right? And we have seen more blowouts than I feel like we have in past NBA seasons. And it's completely possible that there is causation to that. If one team is hitting their threes and another team is not hitting their threes, it can get out of hand very quickly. It can get out of hand very quickly. You know what I'm saying? If my team starts out let's even say 7 for 7 for 15 from 3 and the other team starts out 3 for 15 from 3, that's a 12 point hole right there. That is a 12-point hole right there. So, I think that there might be correlation between those two things. Because if the Bucks come out and in the first half they shoot 10 for 20 from three. And if the 
Celtics come out and they shoot three for 18 from three. That's a 21-point difference right now. One shooting 50%, one shooting 30, or not 30%, like 17%. But that's like that's how the Celtics lost to the Knicks, right? The Celtics came out at one point where four for 24 from three. Four for 24 from three. And the Knicks were like 10 for 24 from three. That is 18-point deficit right there. And we were down like 25 for most of the game. You know what I'm saying? So I just think that that needs to be addressed because Charles Barkley has a point here to an extent. He does. And I'm, I'm sure if I look back at the blowouts, you would see a huge discrepancy in three-point percentage. Last thing I'll talk about is Derrick Rose and his trade to the Knicks. Makes no fucking sense, at least for the Knicks. The Pistons, it makes sense. It seems like the Pistons are doing, or are at least trying to do, what the Brooklyn Nets did when they didn't have their draft picks, where they basically take chances on lottery guys that no one believes in anymore and they gain draft capital through that. They've done it so far with Josh Jackson. They've done it kind of with Jeremy Grant. because They just threw him a bag. They gave him a chance. Um, they're doing it with Dennis Smith Jr. right now with the Zaragoros trade. You know? That's what I think they might be doing. Which is really cool. It's good. I like to see that. Because it's showing that they at least want to like, they're at least exploring options. They're not trying to just go in one direction. If Dennis Smith Jr. comes in and plays well, he's going to start for them. But, you know, it just seems that the, the Pistons are starting to be somewhat competent. It sure makes no sense to the Knicks. It makes zero sense to the Knicks. I don't know why the Knicks did it, and I hate that the Knicks did it. Emmanuel Fisley should be starting. How is Emmanuel Fisley not earned that job yet? Tom Thibodeau, God damn it! Like, this is the Tom Thibodeau effect. You are stunting the growth of a player. You are. You just are. At the end of the day, you are stunting the growth of him. Because I know, I understand that Emmanuel quickly is going to be good. He is going to be good. But the quicker you get him as a starter, the quicker he makes mistakes, the quicker he learns, the quicker he becomes better. Every game that you make him come off the bench is another game that you are losing out on developing your starting point guard of the future. You are extending the process now by one more game. And with Derrick Rose, Derrick Rose, like, I just, I don't, Emmanuel Cook is going to learn a lot from Derrick Rose. Killian Hayes was. And that's why the Knicks may have traded for him. Veteran leadership that has already bought in Tom Thibodeau, but I just think it's a stupid move. Overall, I don't like this move by the Knicks. That's all I have to say, is that I'm not happy with the Knicks on this one. Um, yeah, I think that'll wrap it up, though. This is a long time today. If you enjoyed it, leave a rating. Um, tweet at me at the 3D Podcast. Let me know any questions, any topics you want me to cover. And uh, thank you.